Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. Steve Walsh here with me. Hello. Owen Pomeroy sitting there. But don't worry, he's not going to be here for the whole episode. <laughs> Hello. Elefest is over. We've been back and forth to various events over Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Just finished with the quiz. We ended up with two different teams, didn't we? Because it wasn't a big turnout. Massive turnout for the festival generally. Yeah. Even a decent turnout tonight, once it was Yeah, in the end, once everyone turned up. We were put on separate teams. Uh, Officially, there's only three teams, just to clarify. Yeah, and two kind of straggler teams. Auxiliary teams, yeah. Your team, Steve, Transpontine Express, which I thought was a great name, man. Michael Leader, christened the team. Well, uh, we had flyers for the show, and the word Transpontine appeared on the flyers. And a couple of people on the team had never heard the word before, so I was explaining it to them. And then just we're just chatting, and the organizer said, "What's the name of your team?" And my leader just made a clarity, just sort of in Transpontine Express. And who else did you have on your team, Steve? It was myself, Mike Leader, Mim, who uh, Mike and Mim live like two streets away. And then we adopted uh, a couple of girls who came in on their own, called Naomi and Helen, who live on the wharf road. What was their motivation for coming? Naomi had read about Elefest and really wanted to come to everything, but was away for most of the weekend, so could only really make it to the quiz tonight and didn't want to just roll up by herself so convinced her housemates come along. Can't roll solo to a quiz, can you? (laughs) Despite my tweet earlier today. (laughs) (laughs) Encouraging people to do just that. Yeah, we did have one solo traveller on our team. Uh, You came third, Steve. On our team, uh, me, Owen Pomery, Richard Reynolds, Gorilla Gardner, who's... uh, We'll be coming up on the show in a minute. Hassan, who you'll remember from uh, the very long boxing episode. <laughs> there wasn't a boxing round, unfortunately. Otherwise, I think no, he did it. say he did say if there's a boxing round. Matt Wells. <laughs> and um, I can't remember the guy's name, Owen. No one, no one can. No one's quite sure. Oh, the name of the guy who turned up on his own? Yeah. Well, what sort of team are you? You know. Me, Helen, and Naomi bonded. You know, we're, they're going you know to. You know what sort of team we are? We're a runner-up team. <laughs> we were well and truly whooped by SE Wonderful, uh, led by Andrew Humphrey, regular listener, friend of the show, and uh, a counsellor whose name I'm not sure of. Yeah, we did. We'd encouraged uh, listeners to get involved in form teams, not realising that Andrew Humphrey would probably form a team with a local council and win. That was never the plan, was it? No, but uh, that truly backfired. <laughs> but the other way to look at it, we sort of filled up the room, really, didn't we? Plus, it was some pretty niche um, elephant knowledge, wasn't it? I mean, you know, if you'd wandered in off the street looking for a bit of, you know, who's your favourite film star type. What's <laughs> 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 incorrect? What quizzes do you go to? You weren't going to get it, do you know what I mean? You put Johnny Depp and they go, yeah, that's correct. You do like Johnny Depp, have a point. Everyone gets a point in this round. <laughs> yeah, the first round was. Um, it was all about the new development, but it was very specific. It had a political agenda. Yeah, I think it was, a, it, was a, yeah, it was informative as well. Yeah. It was good. And uh, there was another kind of municipal round, almost, wasn't yeah. there, where it's just like, name the departments, and we struggled. Yeah, I mean, we did very well in the transport round, didn't we? I was sitting there writing that bus routes. Yeah. <laughs> from, you know, from start to finish. <laughs> and the sh- ended with some charades, which uh, went well for us in the Yeah, the charades was great. I've never been to a quiz where that's happened before, but I thought it was really good. Fun. We were really saying it would have been a good idea to start with that. You know, if anyone's thinking about incorporating charades into a... No, but maybe it would have been, that rather than starting off with a very dry... Uh, maybe it sort of built the excitement, around. Yeah, yeah. No, I... Get the municipal business out of the way first, it? and then, uh, then we'll just run around like maniacs. 
I, uh, on my first go at charades, uh, got the clue, which was attack the block. And I was like, brilliant, I'm going to do really well here. Went over, indicated that there was three words in my answer, and then just like punching the air to indicate the word attack. Then indicate the second word was the, and then pointed at a brick for block. And I couldn't understand why they wouldn't get it. And then someone Sounds else like got sock it. I went for. And by the time someone else had got it and I could explain to them what it was, Mike just turned to him and he didn't say what it was. I was actually when he did say if it was a film or a book, or a book which is very basic um, charades mistake. One hundred and one, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. I was I was bang on after that. I was like, this is a hook. I thought generally though, Kathleen did a very good job with the Brilliant. quiz. Yeah. And we would be. I'm always looking. I'm just looking for two things in a pub quiz: don't come bottom, and don't come away outraged. And I wasn't. We got beat by about eight points, and there were a couple to dispute, but there certainly weren't eight to dispute, were there? No. And not a great, I mean, you can dispute anything if you want, but no, I thought it was a, a great quiz. Amazing prizes, I thought. Yeah. It was. It, I like the whole sort of cheese for chairs philosophy on the prizes. Yeah. It's, it's a nice touch. I've never heard that phrase before, but I know exactly <laughs> what you mean by it. You, no, you, I haven't. But the thing is, listeners yeah. will need an explanation. Because we experienced that. <laughs> so I'm going, yeah, cheese for chairs, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it, Jack? Cheese for chairs, like yeah, we said. Yeah. Atoms for peace. <laughs> <laughs> Kid for two farthings, you know. <laughs> Uh, seven brides for seven brothers. Yeah, ba- basically, rather than, you know, with, and it never even occurred to me to do this with it, but rather than the standard thing of everyone puts in £2 and the winning team get the money, which, obviously, on the records, the combined South London hardcore team, the true South London hardcore team, still has 100% records. In, <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. This don't count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we got 45 yeah, there, didn't we, between four yeah. of us. Yeah, but, but with this one, you're encouraged to put in money if you want, but you can also put in gifts or yeah. services or offers and we offered you know, the some chance. free Tupperware yeah. was one um, sitar lessons yeah I got a sitar lesson so I'll be seeing Sharma for that a cup of tea round my flat yeah that was a bit creepy Steve no. I don't know why you put that in then. <laughs> <laughs> I just want people to come to Penge I didn't make it to the treasure hunt this afternoon but reports indicate that 70 kids turned up and 30 adults which wow. is an incredible turnout isn't it yeah the uh, turnout to all the events has been a uh, brilliant you know we started on the friday evening um in the subways under the elephant castle roundabout and david bratby the artist who painted the murals or most of the murals did a talk and that was you know very well attended it was a good well, it was indication a talk for the talk. it was a talk that took place in the tunnel so we were going from mural to mural and he's explaining why he chose to do the murals in this way i mean we've got an interview with him so you can hear what david yeah. bratby's got to say himself what year was the project first started? It was it's something like 1995. And how long did it go on for? It's, it, it went on sporadically. So I'd do one tunnel, and then they'd... Uh, the, what, it happened, what happened was that the council were refurbishing them. So they refurbished one count, the tunnel, in, in kind of stages. So uh, I'd, I'd have six weeks to do one tunnel, actually paint it, and then they had to open it to the public. And then they'd get on to the next tunnel close it and start doing all the initial works and stuff and then again I'd have six weeks to paint the mural Uh, but it it wasn't as straightforward as that because uh, they weren't sure whether they wanted me each time so you couldn't plan ahead and and prep for the next one while no they they weren't sure whether they wanted to the initial one was a result of a competition and they weren't sure whether they wanted to do another competition but like um, most um, sort of council officials 
they um, had a, a sort of disregard for artists. They thought they were just trouble, really. And they, they thought I was less trouble than... You're a known quantity, you're a safe pair yeah. of hands, uh, the, the rest of them. But they still got into arguments with me, you know, it was, it was straightforward, they could have paid me the same amount each time, but they're still like, are we going to fight over the, the money? Uh, but the funny thing was that the, uh, the clerk of works, he was, um, he tried to sort of cut me down on the, on the fee, always, but um, he didn't know that I did maths at school, you know, like <laughs> artists sometimes are, are mathematical as well. And uh, so I was able to, we go round and round in circles, and he'd end up paying me more <laughs> than we started off with. Because he'd do it with, on, by the square foot or something. <laughs> Thinking that it's going to make a saving yeah. for him, but actually, yeah. and you're just nodding, going, yep, yeah. that's perfect, we'll do that. Yeah. They're remarkably well-preserved, obviously, the fact they're underground helps. Well, yes, they're, they're well-preserved because they're not open to the elements. Um, if they're outside, they would have probably peeled off by now because of the action of water. Uh, but nevertheless, they are quite strong. They've got, um, they're, they're put on mosaic. There's mosaic there originally. And then the, I think it was the council put a, 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 an epoxy resin um, a surface on the tiles um, film. It, it, it's paint, but you'd call it a film. So there's an epoxy resin film put onto the, onto the mosaic smalty. So it's absolutely bonded on. It um, yeah, grips with a like, chemical grip. So then I was faced with that. I had this white surface. And uh, onto that, I put um, another paint, an exterior paint called... Um, it, 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 they don't make it anymore. It's called Micatex masonry paint. So that grips really well too. And it's also got a roughness to it. It's not textured, but it's, it's rough. It's, it's got... Um, Sort of granules. So then I would paint the actual mural itself using artist acrylic paint. Now, artist acrylic paint is very uh, strong and durable. It's designed to last for a thousand years. So <clears throat> it's a very strong uh, paint itself, but it had a very good ground in which, in which to grip. You know, it's all these knobbly bits so that the, that the, uh, the paint would grip onto that. Then on top of that, I would varnish it with um, a, a strong... It was an exterior um, artist's varnish. Then I'd give it back to the council, and they'd put this um, anti-vandal paint on top of that. So um, the mix of uh, designs and themes that you've chosen... I mean, as you say, you, you were selected a tunnel at a time, so I guess you couldn't really have an overall plan for it, it was just a case of every time they, you'd, you'd have to kind of a new new theme and idea. Oh, absolutely, I, I didn't know uh, from one commission to the, the next whether I'd be getting the commissions in fact they didn't even tell me how many uh, tunnels they were doing, they weren't even sure themselves, but, but nevertheless there is a connection because each one has a, has a link to the one before, right so, as you recollect, the first one starts off as a multi, uh, multinational festivals, then the next one's local festivals, and then the next one was um, just l- kind of local history, and then, um, then it would be local um, sort of cultural history, with the Van Gogh and so on, and then it, then it was local popular, popular history with these ones, with Charlie Chaplin. 
and then the, and then it started going back in history to the old Victorian shows. So it, each one kind of linked to the one before. And did you have a lot of interest in local history beforehand, or did it involve you having to go out and research and develop ideas yourself? Uh, well, yes, indeed. I uh, I worked. It, it, I started to work with the um, the council, the council uh, entertainment officer. This chap called Richard. He, he pops up in all of them. <laughs> so it kind of. I didn't after sort of being commissioned by the clerk of works who was sort of this sort of uh, typical um, man in the, de- in, the, in the office then I had this much more colourful um, outgoing officer the, the uh, entertainment officer so he'd bring the history and then you'd bring the art uh, well he'd uh, yeah he um, he'd take, he took me around all the local fairs and stuff which were, obviously he was, in, he was uh, involved in he, he funded them all and, uh, and so it sort of went on like that, really. You're, you're a mural uh, painter by trade, or were at the time? Uh, yes, I, I, like the murals, I kind of like have developed. I, I started off being a mural painter. So I was at this time, and I, paint, I used to paint all these great huge paintings outside. But the, the world's kind of moved on, as, as we have. Uh, so I went from there. Then, then people... It, it, it sort of developed. People wanted to be involved in it. I was doing. My, I was working for the GLC before you were tired. <laughs> I'm aware. Uh, right in the middle of my time. And uh, I was painting um, pictures on uh, these things called one o'clock clubs. And uh, the local mums all said, no, "No, no, you can't be. We want to paint on this as well." And so from then on, um, people started uh, actively uh, engaging. On, in the painting of the murals I did and then, then it, it sort of developed more where I was just setting it up for people to, to do these things or there was <coughs> some sort of process where um, local people and children were involved in the, an artwork which I would make and it, it would um, it wouldn't just be paintings it would be mosaics and sculptures yeah, I was taken by uh, the mural on the side of the Max Roach One O'clock Club in Brixton right. recently, but it's one where murals you kind of you do kind of see the worst of it sometimes, where it is just a load of mums and uh, kids doing it. <laughs> they barricaded the kind of us; they wouldn't let us get to the wall. The <laughs> <laughs> no, last day, where was an artist getting involved? <laughs> we turned up one day and we couldn't get to do the painting. <laughs> oh, wow! Yeah. Have you done much other stuff in South London? We're obviously a South London podcast, so that's our field. Uh, well, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm a bit local to Tower Hamlets. Right. Um, I'm trying to sort of think back. To be fair, though, if you're going to do one set of murals in South London, yeah, this is the set the of murals to be involved with. This is. Uh, the most famous ones, I would say. Oh, no. No, there were lots well, of... Well, Brixton, there's a Brixton handful famous. of... Uh, yeah. You've got the nuclear, anti-nuclear one. Yes. It's uh, been around a while, hasn't it? Brian uh, Barnes, he's the artist there. And Stockwell, you've got uh, quite yeah, a yeah. range of stuff in there, that roundabout as well. Yeah. Yeah. There used to be, like, a gang of them, and uh, I'd meet them all, and they were uh, they're slightly older than me. So they were the big boys, and I was the newcomer. <laughs> Little mural gang. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Immediately following the subway tour, we went into Perinet House to see Stephen Humphrey, who's the authority on Southwark, you know, old Southwark, Elephant and Castle, and has recently written a book on the Elephant Castle 
talk about the history of the area? Yeah, he prepared a slideshow and just talking about the development of the area and the changes that the place has seen. His book is about the heyday of the Elephant and Castle, which is something like 1840 to the Second World War, isn't it? And that's what the talk was on. There were some uh, incredible photos when there, and it yeah, really just gave you such an uh, idea of the history of the place. I mean, you know, it's, all, it's very specific, it's very niche, of all, yeah, yeah. but, you know, to see, like, even the photos of the uh, various department stores and stuff. Was, uh, and also the maps as well, seeing the mm. literal physical development of the place, the sort of additions and removals that have shaped the modern elephant. The main feature on Saturday afternoon was a gorilla gardening session with uh, Richard Reynolds followed by um, a barbecue and some music in the mobile gardeners park and I spoke to Richard there Richard Reynolds is a gorilla gardener and one of the organisers of Elefest you can hear your fire going in the background probably it's a good sound isn't it that crackle and the heat we're standing about 12 foot away but we can still feel it yeah nice and warm what's the music we can hear in the background Um, you're listening to the um jazz latin fusion sound of the g-bop orchestra who are a super group of uh, london latin musicians who are our special guests here today in the mobile gardeners park and where is the mobile gardeners park we are tucked down a cul-de-sac uh, on the south side of the huge haygate estate that's poised for demolition and this is a bit of land that is part of that development that has been leased to us for a couple of years to to use as a community space so we've turned it into a kind of park come allotment come meadow come entertainment venue i saw uh i suppose it was at the uh stephen humphrey event yesterday um video of you putting everything together in a you know mm. planting uh plant, putting plants in shoes and yeah. in uh sofas and, yeah. and whatnot um how long has it been running well um, the idea has existed for nearly a couple of years, um, but it took a lot of argy-bargy to finally get access. It took some lock cutters, actually. <laughs> and then about nine months later, we signed the lease. In fact, almost a year ago, we signed the lease. So it's been officially gardenable for a year. And, yeah, there's a little um, video I made um, this week, which, which shows that story in 55 seconds. It was just rubble, concrete, and we've imported truckloads of soil and gravel and sort of plants, containers, a vintage caravan, all sorts of bric-a-brac. My wife's uh, old toilet from a flat she bought and this sofa here that have all been turned into garden space. Brilliant. What were you doing today? What was the event? I've been both guerrilla gardening around the Elephant Castle with an enthusiastic crowd of about 20 people planting tulips and daffodils. And today at the park... <laughs> We've got this gig and people are doing barbecuing and we've got our great bonfire. And I've just finished building an eco-loo. So I'm hoping that the lead marimba player will be um, christening our loo quite soon. I did see him drinking, uh, (laughs) you know, heavily. That's good, that's what we need. (laughs) You know, the nerves might hold it in. I've upholstered a beautiful curtain made from fabric that's inspired by this project. Um... So it's 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 Elephant and Castle's poshest, newest, freshest toilet. I had to work all three days, so I missed all the daytime stuff, like the dig and the treasure hunt. But I managed to make it along for the evening things. So Saturday night, I met Jack, 
and his dad Jacko outside the East Lane Library. And then we headed down to Pembroke House. Yeah. For the feast, which was essentially a dinner party, like a community dinner party, with food sourced from foraging in Burgess Park, from collecting unsold but still uh, edible goods from East Street Market, and talking to the traders and getting things donated that they were happy to give up for the feast. Do you want to talk about the fact you didn't eat any of the food, Steve? Well, we were heading to the stock market afterwards, weren't yeah. we? So, it's I, not because it was kind of bin food. It was. <laughs> well, your, it was also your favourite type of cuisine. <laughs> when we got there, it was uh, there was there was seats like trestle tables set up and people seated, and it really felt. I'm sure you could just like grab a bite of something, but I felt like people had got there first and got a chair. Let them have the food, yeah. didn't they? Oh yeah, people were queuing up, and it did look delicious. Mm. We're joined by Kathleen Cassidy from Incredible Edible Southwark. Nailed it. Hello. <laughs> Tell us about today's slash tonight's event. Today's celebration is a celebration of culture, of people, of food, um, all from around the Southwark area. Um, it's called the Incredible Edible Harvest Feast. Uh, and why I am involved with it is because I'm basically really passionate about bringing different sorts of people together because I think the biggest learning curves in life are happen when you come across someone that's different to you and you see the world from a different perspective um, through conversation and um, you develop the ability to kind of empathise and become a bit more open-minded about your opinions about the world. Yeah, and so that's really yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, yeah you I feel can't like be. ignorance is the biggest thing, isn't it? So. Exactly. So, um, Steve knows about I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm ignorant about Steve, so I'm glad you enlightened me about that. Lucky you. Ignorance yeah. is bliss in that case, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's one of the, the main motivations for me being involved in organising this. Um, because I, I think that um, it's so easy to walk around in a very safe bubble where you're surrounded by people that agree with you. But actually, I think it's important to, to meet other people that um, come from such different backgrounds to yourself. And I think that food is a really good medium for connecting people from different backgrounds. And I think also I feel really passionate about strengthening community within the Elephant Castle area particularly because I feel it's quite vulnerable at the moment in terms of um, it's being, you know, it's being a lot of change is happening very quickly um, and a lot of it being driven by quite external forces to the area mm. from corporations, from... And the council enabling uh, real estate agents to tear things apart. Well, this is a very good point, which actually I will be raising in the local public quiz tomorrow evening in one of the rounds about housing, actually, um, which uh, will touch on, yeah, what's happening to housing in the area and who has power, who doesn't have power, what the cost is of housing. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think that um, uh, it's an important time for people to kind of come together and recognise the the wealth in the area, not not just in terms of money, but in terms of like the people that live here, in terms of the skills that are here, and um, basically, I feel passionate about banding people together so we can help kind of you know, direct the future of the area in a kind of like more um, healthy way, really, than just being driven by people who don't actually live here and aren't really invested in it. Community oriented yeah. rather than yeah, financially exactly. oriented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the uh, community centre that mm-hmm. we're at now, I mean, there's yes. a room full of people eating together, so it's, it's been great successful. To see. Yeah. A lot of the food was also found, is that right? So there was a foraging um, expedition today as well, which basically involved going around Burgess Park and looking at what was growing and what was edible. Not um, mushrooms. <laughs> Do you know? I'm right not ones. sure about that actually. Um, 
hello. Would you like to be in South, South London Hardcore? You are. You are now you are in South London Hardcore. I just came to show Kathleen my uh, new whisk. Carrot wow. whisk. Wow, a carrot whisk. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Can you only whisk carrots with It's that? my auntie and uncle's birthday tomorrow, so I got my auntie a mug with mustache on it and my uncle Classic. carrot whisk. So, what have you been serving up? Do you know what? I didn't actually cook anything. I brewed quite a lot for tonight, but I didn't cook anything. Um, but there is a feast of bananas, because basically somebody get bananas get wasted every day. So a lot of the food that was that is getting served up tonight um, would have been thrown out otherwise. Um, and yesterday, um, my friend and I went along East Street Market and asked the stallholders to donate any food that would be thrown out. And we got um, boxes of bananas. Boxes of bananas. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the bananas were in quite good condition in terms of making banana bread, which is what we have yeah. a lot of tonight. Um, because um, you want when you make banana bread, you want them to be like basically as ripe as possible without being completely brown. And that's basically the condition they were in. So if you ever want to make banana bread and you're on a low budget... Go to your local market yeah. at the About end of the day. five o'clock in the evening. And you will, you, <laughs> you know... You just find a box. It's fine. Basically just find a box and fill it up. Um, and the, the generosity of the market people was really, like, touching. You know, they just... I didn't really have to even really explain the project. They just were throwing things at me, throwing food in a very generous way. Not like... <laughs> not literally. Not, not doing a, while they're doing No, that, I, I didn't get any bruises, no. So... We're not going to make it to the treasure hunt, unfortunately. What so are we missing? the treasure hunt is a story. It's a story about an elephant. It's a story about an area. And I think that stories help people to understand things from a different point of view and to connect. And really, the, the, the aim of the treasure hunt is really to open people's eyes up to um, what's in the door set, but perhaps they haven't observed before. Um, and really, it's a story about an elephant that's lost its castle. And you have to help retrace the elephant's footsteps uh, to where it's been in its neighbourhood to find the castle. And... That involves going and getting vodka shots if you want them, or free waffle bits if you want them. If you're if you don't have vodka, um, and waffles uh, are the best food. <laughs> wow, yeah, I'm a big fan of waffles, which is why I included them probably. But um, it also involves going up staircases, which you perhaps thought might not lead to anywhere very interesting, but then you discover that there's a whole part of Colombia up the staircase. You know, you don't have right. to go to Colombia to experience Colombia. You can just go up a winding staircase in Elephant Castle, and you are surrounded by Spanish. You're being offered Colombian food, and you may as well be in Colombia for all you know. Obviously, plenty of people are going to miss the treasure hunt. Will it be sort of available in some form for people to do on their own? Well, do you know what? I would love it to be a regular feature of the Elephant Castle area, and I am considering approaching perhaps the council, perhaps Mm. other independent organisations about making this possible. Um, I have been, I've, I've lived in the area for a few years, and I felt like I knew it quite well but I spent a few days designing the treasure hunt which basically involves wandering around the area and I learnt so much in that time and I feel that I can condense it into the treasure hunt which is done in like 30 no 90 minutes um, and that is actually a really valuable learning curve for a lot of people who live in the area who perhaps aren't very connected to it and I think actually it's a very feasible thing as well to do so I think that um, there's definitely a business model in this somewhere which I think could be expanded and developed um, potentially by me, potentially by somebody else who does it and thinks that it's a great thing. Great. Where do people find you online? At Edible Southwark. So um, I'm, I can be found online in various forms. The incredibleedibleSouthwark.org.uk um, has a great map which you can um, put yourself on if you're interested in food in any way and want to like become part of a local food network. Yeah, interactive like, map. Big way. Really interesting food. Great, well then go to that website. <laughs> um, and... I also have a blog called Embracing Experiments because 
Um, I feel that it's important to kind of dapple with the unknown and not be afraid of failure. Um, and a lot of what I do is really about just, yeah, doing stuff because I believe in it, not necessarily because I feel like qualified to do it. At the other end of the spectrum was the stock market at the Hotel Elephant, which is a space on New England Causeway. And that was really a kind of typical, you know, the big trend at the moment, which is mobile, independently cooked world cuisine. It's, yeah, um, uh, particularly if you can serve it from a motorcycle sidecar or a caravan. Yeah, ideally. There's a very definite aesthetic to it, isn't there? And, you know, I think it's good to have things like that where it's a sort of... A haven where people feel safe they can sort of go there and it's a known quantity but, you yeah, know yeah. A, a large part of what makes these things successful is the unknown and the new but i think having almost like a base camp for people to operate yeah definitely from, where yeah, you go yeah. i can definitely get a drink i here. can definitely get a, a macchiato exactly at, uh, yeah. at the stock market i had uh, some gumbo just because i can't help myself but to have something i've never had before a chorizo and uh, prawn gumbo which Two is nice from uh, carnal tom and uh, you, Steve, went played it safe, didn't you? So you played it safe, but I had uh, yeah, I had a nice uh, pork burger. But yeah, there was more to it than that, wasn't there? Really, um, there was table tennis, um, DJ, but there was a the live band. Live music was, was brilliant. Was brilliant. Yeah, a guy called Jeremiah Marks, old Jamaican guy, and the Blue Aces, and they were really good. Switching from blues to reggae. And they'd had uh, music on the Friday night as well, but it was a different band apparently. And uh, again, supposed to be very good. Who was that? Do you know? I don't know. Mm. I'm probably asking a difficult question there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Paxman. Now talking to... My name's Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Um, you're here tonight at the stock market on the Saturday night of LFS. Yep. Have you been to any other events here? I've been to some of the other uh, stock market events, the one at Kingston and Bermondsey, but obviously this one is new at the Elephant. Excellent. Brilliant, isn't it? Really nice mix of... Absolutely. I mean, it's a two-day thing. I was here last night, which was good, but tonight, very special. Was it a different band last night? Yeah, different different music, but the vibe tonight is absolutely perfect. I mean, great music, nice feel to the whole thing. Seems to be working. Fantastic. Have you been to any other Elifest events this weekend? No, this is it. Okay, are you planning on doing One's enough. (laughs) Yeah, I'm Ruben Powell. I run Hotel Elephant. Excellent. Which is the venue you're in at the moment. Uh, have you been involved in LFS before, previous I, years? I have, yeah. We've hosted events for um, the last three or four years, maybe a little bit longer. What other sort of events have you had in? Uh, we did have a building on the other side of this road where Southwark Playhouse are. So we've had some similar kind of things with bands playing and local dancers, all sorts of things. It seems to be getting bigger every year, LFS. Do you think that's the case? Uh, this year's fantastic. This is probably one of the best years they've done, yeah. yeah it's grown. Do you get a chance to go to other events, or you you have to be on the spot? I guess. Well, I can't really leave here, so I'm I'm here. You've got the keys. Yeah, I've got the keys. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I have to lock up at the end of the night. There was a skateboarding event this morning as well. Reaps. Yeah, all day, midday till ten o'clock at night, in the Hotel Elephant. And when I went past, there were uh, pallets set up. You know, some bits of wood here and there, and uh, you know, you could see people like people had obviously travelled there and it looked, it was busy and I imagine it got a lot busier later I mean I do find with skateboarding that when you start watching people sort of at the kind of street level it's not as entertaining as watching Tony Hawk is it Steve 
<laughs> you made an argument, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I think it's true from what I've observed. The very little skateboarding I've observed, which is uh, that brilliant skateboarding film, where they claim that every skateboarder is the best skateboarder. That American one, um, Dogtown and Z Boys. That's the one. Um, and just watching kids in the undercroft on the South Bank. And it, uh, you made the point, and I think this might be true, that skateboarding veers from incompetent to expert, and there's no sort of you never level see of the middle ground. In, I suppose in, at Brixton you do see it a bit, but you you go from seeing people doing these amazing things on half pipes and stuff, and even say, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but if you play like Tony Hawk computer game, you do incredible <laughs> tricks. I mean. But, um, but you know, you see people over the park and they don't seem to even be able to do basic stuff. Yeah, yeah. they're just like... But, they're not, but I suppose the key thing is they're not there to entertain me, are they? No. That said, having been one of those kids who is borderline incompetent on a skateboard... No pun let's intended. Just, let's just borderline. Right. <laughs> Probably works in some way. Does it? I'm not sure what he means. You know, I can't help... Border, but, skateboarder. Uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> Good, now I get it. Line, a straight line. <laughs> I just have to... T- you know, I have to defend those kids because I felt, you know, I felt the embarrassment and shame of not landing a trick up a curb. You know, I felt the watching eyes of the public, the <laughs> condemnation. You know, what I mean, <laughs> uh, you know. But it is. It does seem to be, as you say, like people doing mad jumps off a half pipe or buckling on a curb. And I'm sure there's something in between where they're just, you know. Yeah. A lot of people they're wearing the right clothes, though. So that's important. I wore my fans, but because they're the only shoes I have, I wandered away from there. And ended up on the Haygate to see some artwork. And, you know, I'm not a fan of modern art, Steve, as I've said before. Broadly, talking very broadly. So there were a couple of installation pieces that I I sort of was very quickly in and out of. But then I came to Ruben Powell. And my dad had mentioned him the day before when we went to the stock market to say that he'd been there before and he'd seen this guy painting on huge pieces of metal. And it turned out it was his stuff and he's got a studio up in Haygate and his stuff it was some fantastic stuff probably your best uh, speaking to us about it Owen yeah I mean I've I've been aware of um, uh, Ruben Powell from when I lived in Elephant and and Borough and he used to run uh, he still does actually as far as I know run a life drawing class which I think we spoke about last time I was on the show well one of the times we talk about your life drawing class a lot (laughs) it comes up uh, in uh, episode 110 (laughs) Owen Comrie's life drawing (laughs) part 2 Ruben Powell (laughs) part 2 of (laughs) 5 but it it used to be based on uh, Newton Causeway um, which is in a place that's now been taken over by uh, uh, Southwark Playhouse but yeah and it's now he's part of the um part of the uh, Haygate estate and he's operating I think he's running some studios out of there like you can rent space and yeah like, it did yeah. You in there it was there were various doors and stuff nothing but space it did no, look Haygate like estate. you know there was a, yeah it the, was right the, above the karate place yeah yeah I've only been there to do life drawing once and the marked difference that I noticed was it's absolutely freezing in there yeah um, I didn't feel like I was in a position to moan because there's obviously someone there Start naked, so <laughs> you know. But at the end of it, I couldn't even feel my fingers. It was right off. So I vowed not to go back until it was the summer. Yeah. Tell us about his work, man. Oh yeah, it's great work. It, it, it was, it was influenced. I mean, the guy's been on the scene for a, a long time in various capacities, um, and then he sort of got back into it in the relatively sort of recent times um, with work sort of inspired by the sort of local architecture and construction and such, and those those huge pieces you're talking about. Um, on on metal and such, 
and it sort of it sort of rusts a little bit as well, which mm. sort, of, sort of leads into the whole sort of constructivism of it. And yeah, it's really nice pieces, really nice pieces. Um, yeah, it was also linked to Art Licks, which was going on this weekend. It was kind of a bit of a Venn diagram uh, crossover between two festivals. You didn't either of you follow that then? I've heard some Art Licks talk on Twitter over the last couple of weeks, and I think we've followed and retweeted a couple yeah. of things, but I, I don't know a great deal about it. I've been so LFS-focused. Yeah. That's the thing, and rightly so. There were a couple of events we did miss that would have been good to go to. There was uh, screenings of The Harder They Come with uh, Don Letts DJing, and uh, London to Brighton with Johnny Harris doing a Q&A, and London the Modern Babylon, which is a... Uh, cracking documentary but I've seen all three of those films some of them more than once so no regrets Steve if you want to buy any of those films go to southernhardcore.com click the Amazon link I would recommend all three I was listening to How Do They Come before I came out tonight me too actually entirely unrelated tonight, yeah. entirely unrelated brilliant mine was related Lakeisha said, I said to Lakeisha I'm going to put the Harder They Come soundtrack on and she goes uh, soundtrack is just one song I said, no it's not many rivers to cross you can get it if you really want more <laughs> uh, Lakeisha in it I spoke to the festival director and founder Rob Ray in the pop-up hotel Elephant Cinema Rado Cinema, I own a cinema. Oh yeah, well, what one's that? Man in Bermondsey Square, short way. Oh right, yeah, I've been there, uh, I went to a festival once. I set that up in 2009. Oh, when, is that when they built the square then? Yeah. Oh right, yeah. So what happened was, I set up Elifest in 2003. And then I kind of was running out, running it, running it. And then that kind of opportunity. I actually started, it was almost simultaneous. I was starting getting Elifest together, but also seriously working out in my head how I was going to do Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Oh, of course, because the festival is... Is the festival... You do the festival as well, yeah? I used to, yeah. yeah. Right, okay. So what came first, the festival or cinema? The festival. Right, okay. Started out as a travelling show, shortly, and then it became... The idea was always to get a base... Because I was doing that, that created in the way Elifest because I was already doing shortwave. So yeah. I thought, fuck it, why don't I do a film first around and look at the castle? Which is called Elifest, but the idea was always to broaden it out. Follow me. Yeah, yeah. So then that started up here in 2003, then with shortwave and cinema over like 2009. And then it kind of just, that's how it's been. Before. So you founded it in which year, did you say? First year of Elifest was 2003. And it's grown every year, has it? Um, to be honest, it's kind of been a bit like being on a, a wave going across the sea in as much that you go up and then you go down, you go up and you go down. And maybe first, being honest with you, the first maybe five or six years, it was kind of going up and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the funding was getting bigger. But there was always the problem that we were trying to do. We were trying to punch way above our weight and trying to do a lot more than we had for the money. So um, then 2009, the economic crisis happened, and that meant a lot of the funding. Mm. First thing to go in it, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. first that fell away. So that was kind of a bit of a disappointment because I felt like it had got some momentum. Then it goes down again. So then the last three years, I've just kind of kept it going on two bob and a pen knife, just to keep the thing going in the 
hope that at some point funding or opportunity or something to change and then we can start doing it again properly. So it's definitely, this year, definitely the biggest, by far, the most successful one we've had by far. Oh, great. Um, and what, what do you think the difference is? I think it's probably that, I think it's two or threefold. I think you've probably got more, because of the demographics of the area changing, you've got more people in the area who are kind of interested in this kind mm. of thing outside of the traditional base of the festival, which is a local community. You get more people coming in from different parts of London to live here, so that gives it a slightly different flavour. Um, I think that's the difference this year. I think the area changing helps, the programme changing helps, having a bit more funding, just kind of getting more support locally. But the idea always was to build it so you work locally right, and bring in local people to work on it and celebrate their creativity but then also attracting other people from outside. So you're kind of doing both. Are you local? Yeah, I'm originally from Woolworth. Uh, oh, yeah. I grew up uh, when I was a kid. I lived on the Owlsby and I moved to Quantity Close around the back of East Street. Then I moved to Bermondsey when I was 15 and then kind of the last 25 years I've been going back and forth between Bermondsey and Woolworth. So I've moved about two miles in four years. I definitely think the scale of it is different, you know? Um, and the interest is different. And it might be that the reason why it's more... We've got a bigger audience this year is because there's an interest in the area. Everyone's mm. always talking about... Yeah, it's constantly making the news, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. In one way or another, there's something about the regeneration, whether it's a shopping centre or the hay game or whatever. There's always that talk there. So, and there's this kind of zeitgeisty thing of London finding the new, whatever it is, the new Dalston, the new Brick Lane, the new Shoreditch, the new Notting Hill, whatever. There's always that kind of undercurrent going on with everything that goes on in London. Um, and I think it's probably part of that. Yeah. You know? And it's also... I did the last year, the festival last year and this year, I tried specifically to try and target the audiences that were a little bit younger, so the 20 to 30 year olds. Yeah. Because I kind of felt with it, when it was purely a film festival, the, the audience was kind of, it was good, we had some really, really, really successful nights, but it was always pretty. Um, what's the word? Kind of skewed older. Yeah. Sorry? No, you got you can't come through this way, thank you. So That's the kind of audience you're attracting now. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Let me shut that door, hold on. otherwise what I felt was the audience we were getting was kind of getting older and older yeah and that was kind of then you go right well you need to put on yeah you need to have that mix don't you you need to mix it because otherwise you end up with everyone in the audience being over the age of 40 yeah I mean it's you've got a mix of events now haven't you like yeah. you know say the skateboarding yeah. stuff is going to attract a certain sure. crowd Stephen sure. Humphrey's talking about sure. the uh, history of the elephant it's a different crowd of but uh, you know I'm at both of course <laughs> no you can do both that's the point you shouldn't be doing one or the other there should be that choice for people so everyone can have something but the hardest thing is also trying to do something for everyone and trying to please everyone you end up pleasing nobody sometimes sometimes mm. um, when you do free events 
when they're all completely free, sometimes people don't appreciate it. There's a weird kind of psychology goes on where up until this year, every single event at Ellifest was free. No matter if I was hiring a coronet and putting on a band, three bands, paying everyone their fees, it was still a free event. And in, the, in that way, you're kind of saying the accessibility thing is, look, it's free, you just walk in. But in some people's way of looking at things, because it's free, it means it must be crap. Yeah. And it also means that you end up kind of in this thing where you get into a cycle where you're only getting money to do the festival. You're not making any money in the festival, not to make money, but to actually put something in the pot to keep the festival going. Mm. So you're constantly going through this famine or feast thing. So the idea last year and the year before a little bit, and this year was to try and increase it. So we started charging a fiver for some events, so that then once the festival's over, and after a couple of weeks when everyone has a bit of a rest, you can start going, right, we've got whatever in the bank, we can start planning for next year already, rather than it just being, then I have to go back to the funders and convince them to fund the thing, and then you're kind of back to being broke again. Yeah, the more money you've got, the better. You can start. You can attract and stuff, start. Yeah, you can start. You can start doing a promotion early, you know? Is there, um, is there a kind of ethos behind the festival? Or is it, you know, like... From what to, to, you know, sometimes these things have the idea of we're going to show the Elephant Castle, you know, what there is to the area. Mm. Like, you almost like people have something to prove. Or is it more just, you know, we want to do something fun I don't, and no, uh, no, artistic? I don't, mean, I don't think there's any been anything... There was never the idea, the ideology behind it, or the ethos behind it. it. Was never to prove that it was anything or not anything. It was more because I suppose the original idea was to say, "Well, I don't, I can't be, I can't have a film festival." When we started in 2003, it was Elephant and Castle as a film festival. Well, why shouldn't we have a film festival? Mm. You know, it's not. I mean, it's not cans or whatever, but you know, you just do it. Yeah. It's kind of just for doing it for the sake of doing it not really to prove anything just to do it but then obviously as time as time passes by more people get involved in the things together then it becomes a bit more like well there is a lot here so we need to it's almost like the idea behind it is to use the festival to make all these people who are doing creative and cultural things locally yeah bring them together bring them together yeah. network them up and then you celebrate that there's also been, say for example, we're sitting in Hotel Elephant, the warehouse part now. Almost me and myself and Ruben from Hotel Elephant have been doing this dance more or less for the last five or six years where he'll get a space, I'll put an early fest in there, and it's invariably sometimes the first event that's there and then everyone knows about the space, or I've used the space for early fest and he's coming, coming after to be Hotel Elephant. And same with Mobile Gardeners now, where Richard Reynolds is. He's got his little space. We put an event on there. We give him, hopefully, the money we've spent on the event. We'll enable him to put a toilet in there to make it safer when he's having an event. So as it's going along, the idea is to create a kind of a semi-permanent infrastructure. Yeah, the leg- real legacy, yeah, isn't legacy, it? Yeah. for sure. Because then you go, right, next year, this place will still be here. Then you go, right, well, this is where the cinema is. Yeah, but does that make sense? Yeah. And obviously, right. over the next five years, ten years, because it is going to change around here, it will, you are going to keep getting little pots 
little empty warehouses, little empty buildings, little blocks of land coming up, and then you go, right, okay, well, that's what we can use there, and that's what makes it interesting. So the ethos is really about saying, well, there is more to Elephant than a man about a shopping centre. Used to be two man about it, there's only one of them. You didn't hear what Rob Ray said, Steve, as the listeners just have. Now, I was quite pleased that his attitude towards it was similar to my attitude towards the show, that it's not about persuading people that this is good. Like, you know, you can almost fall into a trap of becoming defensive or looking to explain things away, as in, like, you know, when people say Elephant Castle is terrible, no, no, it's got all this history, you know, this is good, this is good, like... If you don't like it, like, I'm not. I'm not after you as my demographic. It's your loss, isn't it? That's mm. the thing. If you if you if you think you have to be convinced that there's value in places, then th- those places aren't for you. Mm. Move on, find somewhere you do like. Is yeah. So when I asked him if there was an ethos behind the thing, I was I was hoping he was going to say no. He did basically. Um, you know, he said, you know, other places have a film festival. Why can't we have a film festival? Not even that. We're going to have a film festival, which is how it started out. Yeah, the spirit of Elephist, I think, is very similar to what we do with South Island Hardcore, which is just sort of saying, this this place, these places are great. Here's why. Here's what's happened there before. This land is my land. Here's, this land is your land. Here's what's happened today, and here's what's happening in the future. And these are all wonderful things. And if you're only going to listen to one side of the story, you're going to miss out on stuff. You're a big fan of community, Steve. That's what I mean, this is... I don't know if it was even intentional, but when we started putting money in uh, the box for the quiz, you know, it was going to—it was suggested donation two pounds, but it quickly changed to, as we said before, putting in a service or you know something you can provide. Cheese for chairs, we've covered this. Yeah, the cheese for chairs system. <laughs> it was—I think the idea it's was a t-shirt. just like it's a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I think the idea was they just didn't want to take money out of people's hands. But what it ended up being is they've people have formed connections you know Owen Pomery is going to be drawing somebody's Twitter avatar brilliant I'm getting a sitar lesson you know yeah we got to meet some of the SE some listeners Steve the SE1 crowd and meet new people as well people that you know we'd never met before never heard of the show so we got to make new connections as well nice I mean uh, Rob was saying that the idea with a lot with these things is to create a legacy as well and you know that is a very obvious one. And similar to what Kathleen was saying, sir, about just encouraging people to talk amongst themselves and just realise that although you might think there are differences, we've always got much more in common than we imagine. So next year, LFS definitely get along. LFS.org, LFS London on Twitter. We're at SLHC, SouthlandHardcore.com for extra stuff. At OD Pomery. If you've got any LFS stories you want to share with us, get in touch on Twitter. You can email us at southlondonhardcore at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.